Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everybody, this is Evan Lazar, and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I am joined today by Brad Kelly, my guest this week. And before we get into the conversation with Brad, we're going to talk about the college football national championship game and where things stand with the Patriots and a bunch of those prospects that played last night between the Alabama Crimson Tide and Ohio State. Also going to talk a little bit about Wild Card Weekend at the end of the show, but we first need to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. The NFL playoffs are still in full swing, and there is only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit, betonline.ag, your online sportsbook expert. And now I'll bring in Brad Kelly. Brad, how are we doing? I heard you teased uh, Alabama in the over last night, so you're doing pretty well, I would say. Yes, that was a big win. It was a, probably the easiest win I've ever seen because I know the teaser was minus three and over 69 points, and it ended up they won, they won by 28 and they hit the over, I think by like seven. So it was a good bet. So I'm doing pretty well this morning. Pretty happy. Um, satisfied with last night. Would you be happy if Mac Jones is the quarterback of the New England Patriots next year? That's the question. Getting right into it. Um, <laughs> it's a good start. I think, I think Mac Jones has played his way into that mid first round range. Um, I really have, I, I really believe that last night and really down the stretch of the season, his production has, is, even increased from what it was early on this season when they're already tearing it up. Uh, the quarterback with the best offense in college football. I think when you look at his traits, he's proven, I think, throughout the season that he's not just a statue quarterback. He can maneuver in the pocket. He can, from time to time, you know, run, use his legs, pick up, you know, if it's a third and four and there's a lane, he can pick it up. Um, and I think because of that, he's going to go from maybe a day two pick to, a team looking to draft him in the second half of the first round. I don't necessarily think that would be the best move for the Patriots because I think their holes in the roster and the fact that they only have two picks in the first 95, they need to hit those other positions first. And then I think figure out quarterback, whether it's through free agency or trade or a second round or yeah, a second round prospect, I think would be the more, uh, realistic and better as far as building the roster goes, the better path to take. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. And we're going to get into Mac Jones. We'll talk a little bit of Justin Fields as well, although I think that it's pretty clear that he has played his way out of a Patriots draft pick in the middle of the first round. There's plenty of prospects on both of these teams that we're going to discuss here today. But Mac Jones, I think, is really the big one. And the reason why I brought him up so quickly is because I think a month ago, maybe even six weeks ago, we were not talking about him as a surefire first-round prospect because I think there are some limitations with 
arm strength and handling pressure and things like that that you look at that you would like to see a little bit more out of. And when you watch him play, yes, he is operating in an offense with an amazing supporting cast, right? He's got two first-round wide receivers. He's got the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. He's back there. He's got plenty of time to throw most of the time. He's got open receivers. He's got Steve Sarkeesian pulling out every scheme under the sun that you can think of in the passing game because he has all those weapons to be able to use some NFL-type stuff and and just do some different things that I think a lot of teams are kind of like, oh, we we should be watching this, you know, what Sarkeesian is doing. So the coaching was great. The talent around him was great, but I also think it's a little unfair to put Mac Jones into that sort of uh, category and not look at some of the past quarterbacks, especially in recent years, that have gotten drafted even as early as number one overall, like Joe Burrow last year, throwing to multiple first-round picks behind award-winning offensive lines. Joe Brady's his offensive coordinator is now in the NFL. You know, there's a lot of guys that I think that that fits in that category, Burrow. I think Baker Mayfield had that to a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of guys that have played in great stacked offenses. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily 100% fair to say Mac Jones is not a first-round pick just because he's throwing to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and he's well-protected and he's well-coached. A lot of these guys are like that. And I, I think the biggest thing when you watch Jones that makes him enticing for the Patriots is, first of all, that short intermediate accuracy, anticipation, getting the ball out, constantly putting the ball in places where guys can pick up yards after the catch. I mean, as great as a, of a receiver as Devontae Smith is or Jalen Waddell is, a lot of those throws, you know, those quick slants and things like that are right on the money so those guys can run after the catch with the ball in their hands. That That's what you want, especially in a Patriot offense. The other thing that I, I kind of heard on that broadcast last night on ESPN was that Steve Sarkeesian points out how quick his eyes are and how quick he is through a progression, which is something that you would like as a Patriot quarterback as well, is to be able to get through a progression fast. And you see that on his tape consistently where, you know, maybe the the defense kind of backs off and covers up the deep shots, and then he checks it down quickly, and he gives Najee Harris, you know, 10 yards of space to, to maneuver to get into the yards after catch and to create with the ball in his hands. Very quick to his check downs, very quick to uh, things that – Maybe quarterbacks at that level aren't always so fast through a progression, and you add on top of that that Sarkeesian's running basically an NFL passing system with this Alabama offense. That's a good indicator that Mac Jones might be a nice fit here in New England, but it is funny how a month ago, I you know, you look at like the Draft Network's big board, he's like 65th or something like that on there. PFF has him uh, down there as well, ESPN, all these – all these kind of draft sites and, and draft rankings have him somewhere in the 25 to 50 range, not in the top 25 range. And now because of the demand of quarterback, we're talking about him a lot higher than, than maybe his talent indicates he should go, but he's playing such a clean game and such an efficient game that it's easy to see why the Patriots would really like him. I think you made a lot of good points there. Uh, ultimately, what, I think the one that I agree with the most is that the value of the position is obviously going to push him up the board, and especially the value of the fifth round, uh, fifth year option as far as for first round picks is likely going to get him drafted in that first round because the team is going to want to secure that fifth fifth year option. And even if he is the fortieth rated, if you rank prospects and he's a pure take positional value out, maybe he's the fortieth best. But because he's a quarterback, that means he's going to go pick twenty or so. 
something like that. So I think those those push him up the board as well as they do with most quarterbacks. Uh, but particularly with him, the the hot streak that he ended the season on, winning the national championship, um, but also playing really well. I mean, last night his completion percentage, he threw a bunch of touchdowns, all that type of stuff was. The production is also there, especially down the stretch of the season. I think is really going to continue to push him and give him a lot of momentum going to the draft process. Yeah, I mean, at halftime last night, he's 25 of 30 for 342 yards and four touchdowns at oh, halftime. Man. That's pretty darn good against Ohio State. You know, this isn't against Appalachian State, right? This is against a top five powerhouse football team. And that is something that you have to pay attention to. And I, I think that he's a quarterback prospect that I was not necessarily super high on during the season, but then this college football playoff run has really kind of turned my head to realize, wow, he might not be that Trey Lance. He's going to wow you with athleticism or big time throws all the time, but he just gets the job done and, and runs the offense and runs the system the way that you want. He, he definitely reminds me of a quarterback that just get what is there and get what the offense is creates with the scheme consistently. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah. He's not going to scramble out of the pocket and be Russell Wilson and throw a dime off his back foot, 60 yards down the field, like he's Mahomes or something like that, but he is going to hit all the shots that the scheme does open up. And, and that's, I think what we learned with Cam Newton here in New England this past season, sometimes those are taken for granted that, that those easy type of plays that quarterback and receiver should do consistently at this level doesn't always happen consistently at the NFL level. And I think Mac Jones is a guy that could do that as well. Devontae Smith, I think, pretty much played his way out of any sort of hope of lasting until number 15 this season, winning the Heisman Trophy. Do do you have him? I know you said last night that him and Waddle and uh, Jamar Chase are pretty much wide receiver one equals, right? You know, whoever you have, first, second, third, it doesn't really matter. Do you see a scenario, though, because I I do think that there is a chance with his injury, although he did for some reason play last night, that Jalen Waddell could be in that conversation at number 15, but do you see him as a fit for the Patriots? Uh, Absolutely and absolutely. So his injury, I think, is going to affect him. I would be surprised if he works out a pre-draft workout uh, before the NFL draft, just based on how he looked last night with limping pretty much on and off the field. Uh, I would be surprised if he ends up doing a short shuttle or three cone drill in a month, you know, when the, when the combine's supposed to happen, if it happens. Uh, so because of that, there is potential that he drops a little bit, a few picks, Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith end up being the first two receivers taken, and then he becomes available at 15 or maybe at 12 or 13, and New England's able to move up a few selections and, and draft him. I think Jalen Waddle, if you just base it on the film, is the best wide receiver in this class. Now, people are going to look at Jamar Chase's Galitnikoff award-winning season last year. You know, look at Devontae Smith's Heisman-winning season this year, and Waddle never had a, a huge breakout year like that. But if you remember when he was a freshman, he actually outproduced Devontae Smith as a sophomore. He was SEC Freshman of the Year. Um, he was the second-leading receiver on Alabama behind Jerry Judy that season. Last year, he was kind of stuck behind Ruggs, Judy, Smith, but he led the – country in yards per route run and yards per target on 40 targets he had I think 32 receptions and six touchdowns on only 40 targets and then this year through four games he was actually outproducing Smith in receptions yards and touchdowns until he got injured on the opening kickoff against Tennessee if you look at his career he has only been thrown at 132 times in college he's turned into 106 receptions 2,000 yards 
on 132 targets. That is absurd. Now, granted, great quarterbacks have come through, but he has his film has looked better than Devontae Smith for three years. It just happens to be he has an injury, you know, misses a substantial amount of time. He kind of gets stuck behind Jerry Judy because he was playing more in the slot uh, in 2019. But if you just look at his raw, there's just the film. Just look at the film. He has been the best, in my opinion. He has better uh, natural traits. He's better speed, better deep speed. I think he tracks the ball great down the field. Um, he's a little bit stronger, a little bit broader than, than Devontae Smith. So if he's available at 15, I 100% take him. One, he's going to take the top off the defense. Uh, two, his ability after the catch and as a returner is going to be a dynamic weapon for the offense. The way he can stretch the defense horizontally, too, it's with on motion, I uh, would be a huge, huge weapon and just really open everything up for the Jacoby Myers and then Akil Harry intermediate uh, routes that really that that is going to be their, their strength. Right. I think that's the biggest thing to me with the Waddle versus Smith debate for the Patriots is that as great of a technician as Smith is, and he is explosive, too, let's not get it, you know, just, Ron, but he's more explosive in those first couple of steps, right? You know, and he's very uh, sudden and quick in his movements. Whereas with Waddle, I think that you run into the thing with Smith that the Patriots, yes, I think Smith maybe fits the Patriots' typical brand of receiver a little bit better. He is basically he's Jacoby Myers with great athleticism, right? Dion he's, Branch. Right, he's Dion Branch. That's a great example. But the problem is is that the Patriots still wouldn't have a, a guy to take off the top of the defense or stretch the defense in any way to open up that stuff for for Devontae Smith over the middle of the field and between the numbers and at the intermediate level. So if you still don't have that guy taking the top off at the third level of the defense, then is Devontae Smith going to be as – kind of effective when they're closing the middle of the field on him or they're bracketing him in the middle of the of the field or whatever, maybe not. So I think Waddle, the difference to me for the Patriots is that I think the Patriots need that game breaking. This is a guy that he steps on the field and he is a walking touchdown, right? He's just a guy that you need to game plan for immediately. You need to know where he is at all times. And Waddle is someone too that from watching Bama tape – they move him around a decent amount also. You know, sometimes they'll put him in the backfield. They'll put him in motion, as you mentioned. They'll do some different things with him in the slot or on the outside. And more so than his straight line speed, I think his acceleration is maybe the best. He's the best zero to 60 guy in a while. But in terms of like transitioning on like a double move or something like that, the way that he can change up speeds and then go from moving pretty fast to electric fast is incredible. I mean, it's like Tyree kill level, how quickly he changes the speeds and changes directions and then gets back up to full speed. So he's a really special talent as well. This Alabama offensive line is also loaded with guys. Alex Leatherwood uh, is certainly a name that I think Patriots fans should know near the top of the draft is maybe a, a tackle prospect for New England. But who else on this offensive line or Leatherwood, you can talk about him too, do you like for New England? Yeah, so just to finish a thought on Waddle, is yeah. when you talk about just a speed guy, like a lot of people will shy away. It's, oh, he's just fast. You know, always oh, just a deep threat. But that's really not him. You mentioned the double moves. He runs the best dig route of any prospect I've seen in five years. And what a dig is, is essentially it looks like you're going to run a post, so you break to the post, but then you break again and go flat across the field. He runs that better than anyone I've seen. His separation is there on every single play. So he's not just a speed guy. And I don't think – I think people need to understand, like, this isn't a straight line 
uh, John Ross player. This is a refined route runner who also happens to run four three and a zero to sixty is crazy. And I, I just want to make sure that pe- the people understand that we're not just saying, oh, he's going to run straight right. lines. Right. Uh, as far as uh, Alabama offensive line goes, you mentioned Alex Leatherwood. On top of him, Deontay Brown, who's a but guard, he- and Landon Dickerson, who's the center, who actually he played the last few plays last night on a torn ACL. Psycho, but he he is awesome. He run the uh, won the Remington Award for best center, and Deontay Brown's probably a top 50 offensive guard. Now, we mentioned on the last time we were together that really the Patriots' plan is probably Joe Tooney or David Andrews. More likely than not, I, I believe they re-sign Andrews and move on from Tooney, but they also have uh, Onwenu to kind of take over that spot. So we don't really know if they're going to look for an interior offensive lineman, especially early on in the draft, but Axe Leatherwood at tackle – Tackle could be a position where they look uh, for an answer, maybe because right tackle becomes an open competition, um, and maybe because they just don't really trust Isaiah Wynn's health. Right. Um, so Leatherwood, maybe I think he's more of a late first round pick. Uh, so if the Patriots are a trade back candidate because they don't like anyone available at fifteen, I think that could be the the range where they look for him. Or if they trade up from the second round pick. Might be unlikely, but I think that's kind of his range is in the 20s, kind of that Liam Eikenberg, Samuel Cosme range among offensive tackle prospects. Right, and I, Deontay Brown is – he looks like the mountain from Game of Thrones. The mammoth. Wow, yeah. he is a big guy. He honestly, for Patriots fans that haven't seen him, he's basically Michael Onwenu, but he just plays for Alabama instead of Michigan. Right, He's got that kind of size. And, he, and when they, some of the pictures that – surfaced around Twitter last night of him just standing in, in his stance ready for the ball to be snapped. It's just crazy to think of how big of a man he is. So and He's mean. He's yeah. mean-spirited on the field. It's awesome to watch because he has the power, but he also has the nastiness, which is, isn't always a combination, but he wants to finish players every play. It's awesome to watch. Yeah, he is a, a mammoth of a man, and we know that the Patriots like those tough, big, finishing offensive linemen a whole lot. So I don't know if I would necessarily be crazy about them taking another guard, but if they do and it is Brown, then they could do a whole lot worse. Leatherwood's the guy that really intrigues me, though, because he's got all of those measurable boxes checked. I think he's got the foot speed to play tackle at the next level as well, maybe a little bit faster and lighter on his feet than a guy like Onwenu is if you want to kick on Wenu inside and put Leatherwood at right tackle, but he's still, what, 330 pounds or something like that, so he's still got the size to be able to move guys off the line of scrimmage in the running game, and I think he would fit a power running scheme like the Patriots like to run extremely well at the next level, and and is someone that in my mind, to probably plug and play at right tackle next year if he was a pick that they wanted to take, let's say, at the end of the first round, like you mentioned, if they trade back or if they trade up from the second round into the first round again or something like that. He's somebody that I think that they could literally plug and play a lot like on Wenu in, in this past season. And then they can move on Wendu back to his natural spot of guard and let Leatherwood play right tackle. And I think that you got two guys in their natural positions playing good football together. And that would be a, a great kind of building block and youth building block for the Patriots to have on Wendu and Leatherwood as their two young guys with Andrews, with Shaq Mason, and I guess with Isaiah Wynn at left tackle too. I'm not sure if I would flip Leatherwood over to left tackle necessarily. He's, he's kind of someone that I would like to see stay on the right side, especially in the Patriots scheme, when they like to put the bigger guys over there on the right side and, and be, you know, bulldozers next to Shaq Mason, like Marcus Cannon or on Wendu this past season. But uh, right tackle, 
prospect. I, I think that that's one that the Patriots uh, definitely will have circled. Any love for Najee Harris? Uh, any reason for Najee Harris? I mean, he's a great player. Uh, that That's obvious. Yeah, so you kind of just said it. I mean, I think the, the he's a I think he's an awesome football player. I think he's a great running back prospect. I'm not taking a running back at 15th overall, especially when you already have Damian Harris, Sonny Michelle's under contract, JJ Taylor's probably coming back. I don't think the upgrade uh the upgrade would be there with Najee Harris. I think he would be a better running back than those guys, but it's just not worth it at that position to to justify selecting it at 15. Whereas, uh, maybe a quarterback or wide receiver, uh, would be a huge upgrade on the Patriots roster and just make the team a lot better at a more valuable position. Right. If he was a day two guy and they lost Burkhead or James White or both in free agency and they needed to kind of restock that, uh, running back room and Sonny Michelle's entering his fourth year of his rookie contract, he's not going to get the fifth year option picked up most likely. So you could kind of talk yourself into a day two pick on a running back, maybe even an early day three pick, but not in the first round. I think that they have so many other needs as good as Najee Harris is. Before we move over to some of the guys on Ohio State, I wanted to talk about Christian Barmore, who's a guy that was kind of put on my radar in that Notre Dame game because I was like, who the heck is this guy that's basically wrecking this game? He played an outstanding game against Notre Dame in the semifinal. He might have topped it last night in the college football championship. This is a wrecking crew of an interior defensive lineman and the Patriots certainly could use some bodies like Barrymore on their D line next year. So Christian Barmore is interesting because uh, in 2019, he was essentially a backup. He played sparingly, but in those reps, he looked like Quinn and Williams. Like he looked like that prototypical Deron Payne, uh, Alabama interior defensive lineman who can just take over a football game now, but it was just such limited reps, but going into the season, it was like, Hey, if this guy puts it together, you know, he's going to be a first round pick. He was projected in the first round, uh, even in the preseason. And early on, you still saw those flashes, but throughout the year, his consistency has gotten better as what should happen for a first year full time starter. And what you saw in their past three games was the culmination of his consistency getting better and becoming that level of, um, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Quinn and Williams type of defensive tackle. I think he's the best interior defensive lineman in this NFL draft class. Um, his potential, I think, is definitely the highest among those guys. And what you saw, especially against Notre Dame uh, and against Ohio State, is is really what his potential is going to be. He, I think he's – this interior defensive line class isn't very strong, but it is deep. Um, maybe he's available at 15 if he is. I think the – up talk about upgrades at positions of uh, need for the Patriots. I mean, he would be an upgrade in that interior defensive line. Uh, he would, he would put, he would immediately inject some much needed youth and talent into that position group and, and probably be a, a 10 year starter. Right. Youth, talent, explosiveness, you know, ability to get off the ball. And I think that that's the only thing that maybe Bill Belichick won't love about him because, you know, Bill, he wants your, those guys that can two-gap and plug up running gaps and hold the point of attack. And if you're going to draft a guy like Barmore, you got to let him fly off the football, right? you got to let him wreck, wreck the game. You can't make him sit there in a gap and try to hold up against double teams and combination blocks and stuff like that. I, I think he could do it. You know, I, I think he's a strong enough guy in the upper body, and he's got that low center of gravity that maybe he could pull it off, but it's definitely not the best usage of his talents, right? So the question really is, is when the Patriots typically go for in defensive linemen, does he necessarily fit the bill? 
maybe not. And I think that's sort of a question that we can get into of, I'm sure we'll talk about this with all of our draft coverage, especially once we talk about the D line of, you know, is that really the best way to continue to play? Right. Is that you still looking for these guys like a Lawrence guy is kind of like the prototype of a guy that's just going to eat blocks, right. Just going to hold up, eat blocks, shed guys in the running game. That's Barrymore is an explosive player that you want to get up the field. He had the sack last night, two tackles for a loss. I love him as a prospect. I, I don't know if they're going to be as crazy about him because of his skill set, which is disappointing because I, I wish that they would invest in somebody like that. But we've, what we, I think what we've seen is that players like that, like Adam Butler is, is not as talented as Barmore, but he's got that explosiveness and that length and stuff like that. And he's a really good pass rush player, but he's inconsistent for them against the run because he doesn't do their typical brand of run defense. He wants to get through the gap, whereas the Patriots want him to just hold the gap, and that's when they kind of get into trouble with Adam Butler. So Dominic Easley was the same way. Right. Dominic Easley was the same way. They've drafted a guy like a Malcolm Brown, for example, in the first round, who was really more of their type, but that wasn't really the greatest of value at that point in the draft to just dra- draft a two gapping DT. You know, it's just, it's a tough position to, to get what the Patriots want and get great value for it in the first round, because they're not looking for somebody like that's going to light up the stat sheet at that position. They're, they're not, they're looking for Vince Wilfork and that's great. You know, that, that can be very productive and very effective, but you, you got to have the guys behind them. <laughs> that's, that's really the main thing. You know, if you have these guys that are eating up blocks and you don't have any linebackers that can make any tackles, then it really doesn't matter how many <laughs> defensive linemen are eating up the blocks. Uh, Patrick Sertan, an, another name I think that we probably should know if you're a Patriots fan at cornerback, if they do move on from Stephon Gilmore. He dropped the interception last night, but I think he played pretty well in that game on the whole, I would say. Patrick Sartan's a beast. I think it's either him or Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech for the best cornerback in the class. I guess J.C. Horn's in the conversation as well, but I, I would take Sertan. Uh, NFL bloodlines, his dad was a three-time pro bowler. He's been raised um, to be a football player. He's been around professionals his whole life. He was the highest-rated cornerback prospect of all time, according to 24-7 uh, sports. Um, has the athleticism, is coming out after his junior year. By all accounts, has all the intangibles of a work ethic and a professional attitude. Um, from Nick Saban, uh, I think he's likely going to end up in that top 10 or 12 picks if he does fall out of it because they, a team decides to take Caleb Farley, then I think he'd be a great option uh, for the Patriots. And he is that type of good-sized and that physical type of man, press man corner uh, that have been uh, the Saban and Belichick prototypes for so many years. So he'd be a great fit. Uh, I think, like you said, if they retain Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, then I don't necessarily see a need for him in the immediate. But I think if they move on from one of them, more likely it being Stephon Gilmore, I think Sertan can come in and start right away and, and be an impact player. That's the way I see it going, too, is if they do trade Gilmore, then Sertan's sort of the perfect guy to to make up for that, right? Because of that press man skills, he's got the length, as you mentioned, as well. And this Alabama defense and their system, their their coverage system, is really similar to what the Patriots do. Mm-hmm. So he would basically be going from, you know, it wouldn't be very difficult for him to make that transition, I don't think, to the Patriots scheme. I think he could probably start day one and just, you know, tell him to go press up against whoever, and he would be 
perfectly fine. He's, he's very patient at the line of scrimmage. A lot of these younger corners that play a lot of press man, you can tell that they they watch a little bit of Gilmore, I think, and they study you know some of the top guys in the NFL in that technique. And Gilmore is obviously at the top of that list. And you see the patience that these players have at the line of scrimmage to keep their hips square to the line and not overcommit one way or the other to open their gate. That's always been something that Gilmore has continued to stress as sort of a turnaround in his career was trusting his athleticism and his speed and his knowing that he can flip his hips and run and recover if he has to. So he doesn't have to open his gate and get into his pedal quickly. He can kind of stay pressed up against the guy for as long as possible and make the receiver come to him. And then that's when he can kind of smother those releases and, and do his thing. Let's quickly move over to Ohio State because they have plenty of guys too on that. I know they lost 52 to 24, but they have plenty of guys there too. The one I wanted to ask you about was Alave, who I just absolutely loved in the semifinal game against Clemson. I mean, this guy understands how to get open at a really high level. Chris Olave, uh, like you said, the first thing you see with his film is separation. Now he's not a huge, like big body type. He's more of that like sleek, um, type of uh, refined route runner, really interesting footwork. It reminds me a lot of Adam Thielen, you know, a decent sized guy, but just really smooth, has blessed feet at the line of scrimmage, understands how to get open, can go vertical. Uh, but really, he runs the best curl or comeback route of anyone in this class, anyone in the last three classes. Uh, realistically, like his, his, the way he can accelerate, but then just snap down and, and be in that window is really special. And also his feel for zone coverage, especially cover three, uh, when he runs those curl routes is, is also great and how he's able to get in the middle of those windows and make himself available, come back downhill. Uh, so really a guy who you're looking at the hardest breaks a receiver can make. He is special at that. I also think he has underrated ball skills and strength. Uh, the play that sticks out to me is against Penn State. Uh, in the first, I think it was Ohio State's first game of the season. Uh, they threw just a jump ball and he had to come back through the defender, rip it out of his hands, right? The pylon, drag a foot and he was able to do it. Uh, so for me, he is a, a very high end wide receiver two in the NFL. Probably a less than ideal wide receiver one, but a guy who's going to be a very productive player, I think, especially in the right role. If you match him with kind of that dominant force of, of a, a size speed freak and allow Olave to just work one-on-one matchups or, or the safety rotate away from him, he's going to eat. And for me, that's a late first round, maybe early second round type of player. Not sure if he's in the Patriots range. If they figure out a way to move back and still select him, kind of like the same thing I said about Alex Leatherwood, I'd be really happy. Right, and I, I think that that's the interesting conversation with Olave is, is he going to sneak into the back end of the first round? There are those big three at the top. You know, it's a tough draft to kind of figure out when's the, the next wave of wide receiver going to happen necessarily. Uh, we got Rashad Bateman also from Minnesota, who's a player that I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes on and circled um, for many reasons. I like him a lot too, but I think Olave – you mentioned a bunch of the things that coming back to the football is really impressive and his routes back to the line of scrimmage. I love his spacing too, right? He's so good at pacing and, and spacing routes in the middle of the field and kind of knows where everybody else is on the field and, and where those open pockets of space are going to be and where the offense and the scheme is trying to create those openings for him and, and sort of being able to navigate that middle of the field coverage. 
I agree that he's probably like a high end number two, but the Patriots might be more in that conversation because I don't know if Bill Belichick is going to take a wide receiver at 15 overall, right? So if you go quarterback, you go defensive, uh, defensive line or corner or something like that with 15, and then you come back and you get Olave in the second round, I think that's a really great top of your draft if you're the Patriots and hitting some areas of need, but also not investing a top 20 pick in a receiver after you just busted with Nikhil Harry just a few years ago. Maybe that's not where they want to go with that, but Olave is like the perfect kind of second round receiver prospect, I think. Maybe he sneaks into the top of the uh, back end of the first round, excuse me. It just kind of depends, I think, when the next run of wide receivers go after Waddle and Smith and Chase go at the top of the in the first 20 picks or so, I would assume. Tell me, please, that Bill Belichick is not going to draft Sean Wade. I like Sean Wade as a player. Sean Wade, Ohio State Buckeyes defensive back. He played a lot of outside corner for Ohio State, but most draft people – smarter people than me certainly think that he's going to move to safety in the NFL and be sort of that tight end Kyle Duggar tight end stopper type of player. So Sean Wade's his, his best film came in 2018 and he was a, basically their slot corner. Obviously if you remember, they had great outside corners yeah. uh, previously. Oh, Damon Arnett. Yeah. So yeah, well, Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda. So he was like a slot in, uh, interior corner and that was his best film. And he's made the move to the outside uh, full time this year and it has not gone well. Um, as far as his coverage ability and really I think his technique kind of leaves a little bit to be desired. I think he fits best in that overhang slot corner, kind of strong safety type of role uh, for a defense, which is valuable in the NFL. And I think the person who values it the most in the NFL is Bill Belichick. So I think You're Sean me out of it, Brad. You're supposed to talk me out of it. <laughs> I think Sean, and I, one thing about Sean Wade, I think his film this year has been a little rough, but his mentality is awesome. His confidence never wavers. Um, he wants the challenge of the top opposing top receiver. He has that that top flight quarterback type of mentality uh, that is basically mandatory, a part of the job description for that position. Uh, and I think the Patriots are going to love it. I really do. And I think he, if he's available with their second round pick, they're I think they're going to select him. He, he screams during the Patriot uh, type of prospect to me. I'm not. I wouldn't be in love with it. Uh, like I said, he's kind of a player who hasn't been playing at his natural position this year. He's got cooked a little bit uh, by some of the top receivers they faced. Uh, but ultimately, he just has that type of Patriots feel. He does, and that's what scares me is because I don't think that they need another one of those guys in the building right now. They just drafted Duggar. I think that they need to give Jawan Williams a chance to maybe grow into that role a little bit more. They have a quite the depth, I would say, there at that spot. And they are expecting Patrick Chung. I know this is not a long-term thing with Patrick Chung, but he is going to play in 2021 for the Patriots is the expectation. So you're going to have Chung, you're going to have Duggar, you're going to have Juwan Williams, you're going to have Adrian Phillips back in the mix. I just don't see a spot for Wade, but he is a Patriot type of player. He plays hard. He's he's always kind of around the football he is a little bit slow on the outside, I think, but if you move him inside, you have him guard tight ends and things like that. He's going to be competitive in coverage, and he's got good man coverage skills against bigger-bodied, slower type of guys, like a tight end. If you put him against a Jalen Waddle, then it's going to be a long night for him. But if you put him against the right type of receiver or the right type of tight end, then he can you know, hang up in man coverage with those types of guys. So 
Definitely a Patriot type of prospect. A couple of other names, Haskell Garrett, somebody that I really love on Ohio State for the Patriots on day two, but he's uh, obviously last night that was not the story of the game. <laughs> Ohio State's defensive line uh, kind of got owned by Alabama's offensive line. He's an interesting player. Uh, Trey Sermon got hurt early in the game, another running back prospect that maybe if the Patriots are looking to replace a Burkhead or a James White or something like that, Sermon's not necessarily James White, but he wouldn't be at the top of the draft like Najee Harris. Maybe they could talk about him in the mid-rounds. Right. Trey Sermon, I think if there is going to, they're going to add a running back, uh, in this class, uh, based on projected where they're going to go, it would be Trey Sermon, uh, for me, as far as my choice would be, because like you said, I think he's going to be available out, maybe outside the top 100. Part of that might be due to the fact that I think he just broke his collarbone. Uh, so if he's that selection with their third round comp pick that they're going to get for Tom Brady, that's kind of an area where I would understand the running back. And I think if you looked at his game against Northwestern, and his game against Clemson, I mean, he was tearing it up. I think he ran for 300 yards against Northwestern, something like that. He's been tearing it up as of, as of late. He was also really good in Oklahoma's offensive system where he was more kind of a passing back before he transferred uh, to Ohio State. Um, the other player I wanted to mention from Ohio State's offense is uh, tight end Luke Farrell. Um, they have – or excuse me, tight end Jeremy Rucker. They have two tight ends. Luke Farrell is probably the, the late-round pick, but Jeremy Rucker is probably more the mid-round guy or possibly the potential top 100 pick. If you're looking for a tight end outside of kind of Kyle Pitts and Pat, Pat Fryermuth, I think Rucker can kind of be that guy. He had a touchdown last night, a one-handed catch. He's really come on as late in the season as far as production goes. Came in, I believe, as a five-star or highly ranked four-star uh, recruit. So the talent is also there, and I think the way he's kind of trending to end the season, he could be an answer at tight end outside of their first two rounds. I like him, too, because he's got the size that the Patriots are going to want at that position. I think he's like 6'5", 250 or something like that. We'll see what all these guys exactly are next month. But that, I believe, is what he's listed at anyways. And, and so he's got the size. He's got the ability to, ble- to play in line, I think, what the Patriots are going to like to do. This tight end class is good at the top. It's deep. It's funny that they ended up double dipping at tight end last year because this is the year that they should have double dipped at tight end. <laughs> we're just all, we're, I feel like we do this a lot where we're just kind of rolling our eyes at things. They picked the, the, probably one of the worst tight end classes in the last five years to double dip in when they probably should have been going Pat Firemuth and Jeremy Ruckert in this class instead or something like that. Anyways, that that's that's not here nor there, but I, I do like record a lot. You mentioned Brady. We're going to segue now into talking about some wild card weekend. We got to talk about Brady a little bit. Wearing the TB12 hat, I respect that. Look, he, the guy's amazing. You know, he's amazing. He hasn't missed a beat. He's not declining at all. It's kind of absurd. I think the throw that he made to Mike Evans uh, across the field at age 43, I mean, Peyton Manning at the end of his career has zero chance whatsoever of getting that ball there. And Brady didn't just get it there. It was accurate and it was very much, you know, uh, plenty of zip on the pass as well. Some of the things that he does, I don't think that we totally understand how incredible it is that he's doing it at the age that he's doing it at. There was a play in that game. It might be the one that you're referencing where the snap was low and he had to go down basically at his foot to catch the the shotgun snap. Uh, And then he was throwing basically off his back foot because he was getting hit on his left side and, and put it right in between two defenders to Mike Evans on the sideline, right in the bread basket. Like, dude, that was ridiculous. 
he, and in fact, like you said, he's doing it at 43 years old. We've never seen that in the NFL before. Uh, we haven't seen that from 40 year olds in the NFL before. Not even Brett Favre late in his career could do things like that. Um, he is so locked in right now. The Bucks offense is just absolutely humming. It's just, even though they've lost to the Saints twice already, it's hard to see them not score 30 points next week. And I know the Saints defense is really good, but I think that the way their offense is playing, their weapons are just clicking right now. Really the last about three or four games of the regular season and then that playoff game where they put up 31 against the Washington's defense, which is an awesome defense. I think there's no way they don't score maybe 28 or 30 points and it's going to be up to their defense to to hold the Saints to less than that. And I, I think ultimately the, the way the Saints offense has looked, it's been – the execution has not been there. I don't know if they can score with the Bucks offense right now. The Bucks offense is one of those offense. It reminds me of of like the Patriots, not so much in 07, but more like in the 2010, 2011 range, where there's just five eligible guys on the field at all times that need to be accounted for in some sort of way. And they come out there and he's throwing to Cameron Bray, who's option number five for the defense, right? Washington's not thinking, they're thinking about Gronk and Mike Evans and Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin. And, and all of a sudden Cameron Brate's tearing them apart. And it's like, what, what are you going to do? You have to single cover Cameron Brate. You're not going to double him, right? When you have all those other weapons out there. So w- what else are you going to do? And Brady's just so, you know, precise with those passes over the middle to the tight ends. And it just makes it look so easy. And, I don't even know if this Buccaneers offense is actually hitting on all cylinders quite yet because some of their situational execution is not always there. You know, third downs and things like that. Red zone was a little bit of a problem for them early on in that game. I think that this is sort of like the B-plus Buccaneers offense right now. We haven't even hit A-plus yet, which is just hard to believe and scary if you're the NFC. It's getting to the point now, as good as the Saints are, and as good as the Packers are, it's it's to the point now where I feel like Brady's inevitable. And I, I just don't know if Breeze at this point of his career has what you mentioned, sort of the ability to go out there and hang with Brady in this offense. And then we know that Brady versus Rodgers is going to be a heavyweight bout. I hate to say it, or I like to say it, I don't know, depending on which way you look at it, it kind of feels to me like Brady's inevitable and the Bucks might be going to the Super Bowl, which is just, it's incredible to think that Brady has been able to transition this easily at this age and now is just only ascending and playing better and better than the quarterbacks that frankly, should be better than him at this stage of his career, and he's still the top guy. There's not enough great things that you can say about him, but it definitely has that feel the Bucks do all of a sudden. Yes, they don't have Belichick, but they they sort of feel inevitable, and and that's how you kind of felt about the Patriots all those years. It's it's super interesting right now because you anticipate them having to play the Saints and then the Packers. We'll see if the Packers get there. I think they will. Uh, but they've lost the Saints twice. But like you said, the way the, these teams are trending, it just feels like the the, the Bucks are going to win that game, uh, really, in, in the way the offenses have played. And then when you look at the Bucks against the Packers, obviously Aaron Rodgers, I think he should be the MVP this year, but their defense has been suspect. And Mike Patton as a defensive coordinator against the mind of Tom Brady on the field is a mismatch. And that really came to fruition when they played earlier this season and the Bucks washed them. So I think right now, like you said, he feel, it just feels like the way that they're playing down the stretch and the way that they're executing offensively and the fact that it could still get better is just a scary thought. And I don't know if he's 
I don't know if the 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 Saints offense can hang with the Bucks offense. I don't know if the Packers defense can hang with the Bucks offense. So I think ultimately, right now, if I would have bet and I have, I would bet on the Bucks making the Super Bowl. Yeah, and uh, Brady went up against Mike Pettin, I remember, a few years ago in that Packers-Patriots game here in, in Foxborough. And I remember there was a early on in the game that double A-gap pressure, the mug fronts, were getting to Brady pretty well, and that was Pettin's sort of strategy. You know, the strat- old saying goes, Rodney Harrison just said it, I think, last week. If you get pressure up the middle on Brady, you can rattle him a little bit. So Pettin put two guys in the A-gaps in those, in those double mug fronts, rushed a bunch of, up the, of the middle. That was also a game David Andrews didn't play. Ted Karras was at center. So they kind of were taking advantage of that matchup a little bit as well. And then, of course, by the end of the game, Brady figured it out. And, he, and he, they figured out how to adjust to it. And then from the rest of the game on, they really didn't get a ton of pressure on Brady. And he pretty much had his way with the Packers defense. It just seems like he has so many different answers. And then you also look at that Bucks offense. They have a lot of stuff in there right now that's Patriot offense center, oh, yeah. you know, a lot oh, yeah. of things in there. I pointed out one play that uh, the touchdown to Godwin was a classic power play action pass from under center. Bruce Arians not a big under center play action type of guy, notoriously. So that's something that came directly from Brady, I'm sure. And he said, this is one of my go-to plays in New England. We got to have this play in there. And it was Godwin on the over route and it used to be Julian Edelman on the over route. And that's just sort of, what you see with this Bucks offense is a great combination. Now, now they've kind of found their stride of putting enough Brady stuff in there to make him feel comfortable, but also allowing Arians to run some of his stuff as well. That was not, that was a little touch and go there for a little while, but they seem to have figured that out. The other quarterback in that game for the Washington football team, we heard plenty of people write the next day that Taylor Heineke should be in the Patriots, uh, on the Patriots board, I guess you could say it, for veteran quarterbacks. Uh, He is an unrestricted free agent. This one, I think, is a lot of, uh, you know, what's the word? Uh, We're we're caught in the moment, right? We're prisoners of the moment. Recency bias. Recency bias. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Recency bias on this one. Taylor Heineke has been a journeyman quarterback, played in the XFL. This is not an NFL starting quarterback that you're hitching your wagon to. Right. He's been on five teams already. So he's got plenty of chances. There's a reason he hasn't been able to stick around on those teams and, and really actually compete for a starting position. He did start a game, I believe, for the Panthers a couple of years ago. But like you said, he was out of the league last year and playing in the, uh, anticipated to be out of the league and playing in the XFL and was a backup. So this is not a, uh, a future starting NFL quarterback. I thought he played lights out the other night. Even the incompletions, it was like hitting the receivers in the hands, stuff like that. Uh, but ultimately I think that was him playing up to his, like the best game he's played in a playoff game, kind of when the team needed it. I don't think that's ever going to be a weekly occurrence. And ultimately you just look at the fact that like you call him a journeyman. I think that's exactly what he is. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think that we're, you're signing him. Any team is going to sign him uh, uh, to a multi-year deal and, and believe that he's competing for a starting quarterback position. No, and on top of that, he had to get through some hoops to even make that start, right? Alex Smith has to get injured. Dwayne Haskins has to go off the rails. I don't even know what's going on with Kyle Allen in Washington, but that that was he's their fourth-string quarterback that got into the game out of necessity more so than anything that he did on the practice field to prove that he deserved to be in the game. 
and honestly, John Wolford did more in the short time that he played for the Rams the other night to impress me than, than Heineke would in terms of bringing him in. It just feels like that was the absolute best that Taylor Heineke is ever going to play at the NFL level. And he is not going to be able to consistently match that or even come close to consistently match that. And I don't, I do also think the Bucks were caught a little bit by surprise about how mobile he actually yeah. was. And Bruce Arian said that after the game that they were kind of preparing for Alex Smith. They were sort of expecting somebody to be more stationary in the pocket and they weren't expecting him to, you know, do his best Russell Wilson impression and, and run all over the place on them like Heineke did. So you get into a game where a defense is truly game planning for his skill set, understands who he is as a quarterback. I don't think it's going to look anywhere near as pretty as it did. And that uh, about does it for this episode. I, I think that that uh, covers a lot of bases there. Patriots draft stuff. Uh, Brad and I are going to continue rolling on that. The Senior Bowl's right around the corner. We're starting to get some more news about coaching staffs and things like that down at Mobile. There will be some other quarterback prospects. Kyle Trask is going to be there. Uh, Sam Ellinger is uh, apparently already turning heads down there, who I, I don't know how crazy I am about that one, but maybe as a mid-round prospect, uh, Jamie Newman, Kellen Mond. Uh, there, there's some good names that will be down there in Mobile. And Brad and I will break it all down. We'll preview the Senior Bowl. Then we'll break it down during Senior Bowl week. And we'll continue to also talk about some of the NFL playoff games as well. Brad, is there anything that you want to tease or talk about right now? you got the floor. Uh, yeah, just continue to, to follow the work. I'm doing a lot of film stuff, um, especially on Twitter and YouTube. You can see basically all the quarterback prospects we just talked about. Uh, we have talked about um, videos and, and breakdowns on my YouTube channel. Just search Brad Kelly. Uh, there's a ton, a ton of content, mock drafts and uh, playoff previews. Went 5-1 and one in wildcard weekend, hoping to go 4-0 uh, in divisional weekend. There you go. I, I'm trying to think. I, we did do a pick'em show uh, on CLNS, and we'll do one probably for the divisional round again on our YouTube channel. I think I, I think I got five of six, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, correct. I, I did take the Browns, which I was proud of because I, people were trying to convince me out of the Cleveland. I not to get into a whole Cleveland rant, but I kind of like the Browns. They're 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 a very good January football team, right? They can run the football. They play good defense. They got Baker. They have very, very well coached now, good scheme, good system. So check that out on the Patriots YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass. We'll have another preview of the divisional round coming up, I'm sure, this week. Uh, we'll continue doing draft series, quarterback search series, uh, talk a little bit about Bill Belichick and uh, him rejecting the uh, Medal of Freedom as well from Donald Trump. We don't want to get into that on this show, but we'll talk about that on the YouTube channel if you want that type of content as well. And Brad and I will be back on the podcast very, very soon. Like I said, still looking forward to the draft and Patriots offseason type of stuff, the Senior Bowl, things like that. And uh, that will do it for this week's episode. I'm Evan Lazar for Brad Kelly. Thanks for listening.